0: Well, we're starting this new series on Advent, uh, watching and waiting. I don't know if we have that sermon slide up there, uh, Lucas. Watching and waiting as we wait for the birth of the Lord Jesus. Watching and waiting for His coming. And of course, the series or, or this season of the year is called Advent. We haven't kicked into it yet. Uh, next Sunday will be the start, but we're going to transition into that uh, this week. And an Advent, of course, means the arrival of a notable person. Or thing, And of course at Christmas uh, that's the Lord Jesus and his coming. But I wanted to um, segue into this season of, of watching and waiting by talking about work and rest. You'll notice from the passage that uh, it's about Sabbath, it's about rest and of course um, uh, Christmas season is also known as the silly season. Isn't it so? Uh, it's good for us to, to take some time before uh, entering this uh, Advent season and to, to reflect on um, work and rest. And so, I want to uh, kick off with a, a kind of a modern um, reading of one of the most famous passages in the Bible, a Psalm of David, uh, Psalm 23. But, but it's a modern um, retelling uh, of uh, into our culture and our society. See so if you can um, pick up on on this. The clock is my dictator. I shall not rest. It makes me lie down only when exhausted. It leads me into deep depression. It hounds my soul. It leads me in circles of frenzy for activity's sake. Even though I run frantically from task to task, I will never get it all done for my ideal is with me. Just let it wash over you, you know. Uh, uh, Deadlines and my need for approval, they drive me. They demand performance from me beyond the limits of my schedule. They anoint my head with migraines. My inbox overflows. Surely fatigue and time pressure shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the bonds of frustration forever. It doesn't quite get the laugh that I intend. I think it gets so close to the bone that people, people don't laugh. It was the same this morning. Uh, it's, it's actually so accurate that people can't even laugh. Uh, there you go. Well, 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 it's obviously striking a nerve. And so, uh, and so you can see how poignant it is and how poignant this topic, uh, of, of rest is and Sabbath rest is where where it gets so close to the bone that, that we struggle to even uh, laugh uh, about it. But, um, but, of course, this idea of rest and the command to Sabbath is from the Ten Commandments, the, the fourth commandment. Uh, God says uh, in Exodus 26, "...shall you labour and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, for on the seventh day the Lord rested." And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Rest, Sabbath rest. And I think we're already sensing how desperately we need Sabbath rest. So, why do we need it? Where do we get it? And how do we do it? That's where we're going this morning. Why do we need it? The story that we looked at from Luke 6 this morning starts out in verses 1 and 2 where Jesus Jesus and the disciples are walking through a field and it's the Sabbath day. They pick some heads of grain, they rub it in their hands and they eat the kernels and then all of a sudden they're condemned. They're accused by the Pharisees of, of breaking the Sabbath. Now to the modern listener... Uh, and to us in this day and age, the idea that to simply break off a few cones of grain, rub them in your hands and eat them because you're hungry, the idea that that would break the law of the land and get you in trouble with the police sets off incredible alarm bells. I mean, if that were to happen today, it would be front page news that, that, that there would be such um, uh, legalistic, moralistic Bullies, puritanical bullies that would, would get people into trouble for, for doing, simply doing something like that. But I, but I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't, doesn't react like that to this whole situation. It, actually, in verse 5 of Luke 6, he says, The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Which, amongst other things, is, is Jesus saying, actually, I'm all about the Sabbath. I'm all about keeping the Sabbath. I'm for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is what I'm all about. And what I want to show you, and I hope the Spirit shows you this morning, is that this is actually at the heart of the incredibly good news of the gospel that God offers us and the Lord Jesus gives to us in our perfectionistic and performance-driven culture. This gets to the heart of the good news of the gospel, and I hope you'll see that this morning. The term workaholic, uh, it was coined in 1971. Uh, It was actually by a committed Christian psychologist who obviously was seeing a trend in our society. And, And he defined, his name was Wayne Oates, and he defined workaholism as the compulsion or uncontrollable need to work incessantly. I picked this up in a a scientific article from a professor of psychology, Melissa Clark from the University of Georgia. And this, this article was entitled, Workaholism, It's Not Just Long Hours on the Job. In other words, there's something deeper than just long hours on the job. She claims that in the article that one of the key features of workaholism is feeling compelled to work because of internal pressures. It's what um, journalist Judith Shulovitz, uh, who was writing in the New York Times, said, um, talks about as the machinery of self-censorship and the eternal inner murmur of self-reproach. This was in an article that she entitled Bring Back the Sabbath. The eternal inner murmur and this inner machinery that we have that drives us and compels us and, of course, it's important to realise that there are lots of different reasons why we're all so tired and we're all so exhausted and we're all working so hard. So, for example, it's the rise of technology that we've seen, which, is, which has been a great blessing. It's, it's um, enabled us to become a whole lot more efficient at our work. But, of course, you will have noticed that it's enabled our work to follow us far more efficiently in our pockets and, and on our wrists, the rise of technology, The pandemic unleashed a tidal wave of disruption and daily decision-making, moment-by-moment decision-making that left many of us completely exhausted. Um, The pandemic also opened up the prospect for us of working from home, which of course is, is very convenient, but it also begins to blur the lines between work and rest when we're able to work from home. It opened up the wonderful possibility of working across time zones through Zoom and and working with people in other time zones, which, of course, opens up the possibility of us working at all hours. And there are more and more people who work through the night thanks to technology and and this disruption of the pandemic. But, of course, none of this is to mention the actual thing of of catching COVID and the phenomena that we're seeing of, of long COVID, which is causing all kinds of tiredness and exhaustion. For people. There are many reasons why people are tired. These are some of the reasons that are discussed in an article that I saw just in The Australian just last week by Ellie Halliwell called Fatigue and Burnout. Why are we all so tired? So it's good for us to recognise things like technology, the advance of technology and things like the pandemic have been tiring us out. But, But But the reasons go deeper than that. I mean, when this Professor Melissa Clark and and Judith Shulovitz um, talk about things like this inner machinery and this eternal inner murmur, when they talk about the compulsion or the uncontrollable need to work incessantly, there's actually a reason that goes deeper, that leads to exhaustion. Um, uh, Have you heard of Luke Longley? Give us a little... Luke Longley. Uh, he, he played basketball uh, in, for the Chicago Bulls and, and there was this two-part series about him in the Australian story last year. F- fantastic thing. And it was in response to one of the gr- probably the greatest sports documentary ever done, I'm biased, um, about the Chicago Bulls and, and Michael Jordan, really, and the Chicago Bulls. It was, called, it was on Netflix. It was called The Last Dance. Did anyone watch it? Oh, there's two, three of you. Good on you. You're with me. Uh, and, um, and it was this great series about Michael Jordan, the Chicago Bulls around the year 2000, brought me back to, to my childhood. But, but they overlooked the fact that on this amazing best basketball team ever, there was an Australian player. I barely got a mention, Luke Longley. And so the ABC decided that they would rectify this by doing a two-part series on Australian Story about Luke Longley and his role in that whole story. And it was fascinating listening to Luke Longley and his experience of playing as a starting five player with Michael Jordan for the Chicago Bulls. And and, and at one point he said this, you go to bed at night thinking, I'm going to do this better, I'm going to do that better. And if you're not careful, you go to bed at night thinking, I'm no good or I'm not measuring up. I'm not good enough. Friends, this is the inner machinery. This is the eternal inner murmur. This is the compulsion and the uncontrollable need to work incessantly. We're talking about the starting five of the Chicago Bulls, the best team in the history of the NBA or one of. And here he is still with this inner compulsion and this inner machinery. You see, what they're talking about, friends, is that underneath the work, there's another work. There's a work underneath our work. It's the need to prove yourself to yourself and to others. That's what makes this work so exhausting. It's the work underneath our work. Why are you so driven? Why are you working so hard? Why are people so busy and so exhausted? I'll tell you why. It's because of the work underneath our work. And this is the work that Jesus is talking about when he says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and you will find rest for your souls. Friends, this is the kind of rest that no Christmas holiday, no expensive spa treatment, no around-the-world European trip will be able to Provide. This is a deep rest for the soul without which no amount of physical rest will be able to come close to scratching the surface, let alone give you that deep rest that you so desperately need. But where do we get it? Where do we get it? You'll see in the story that the Pharisees accuse Jesus of breaking the Sabbath. And so in verse 3, Jesus says, Have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and then gave some to his companions? He's raising this story of King David with the Pharisees about this time when King David went into the temple and he clearly broke the law of God and yet he wasn't condemned for breaking the law. And so Jesus is asking a question, how could that be? How does David get away with breaking the law? There's nowhere else in the Old Testament where where God's like, well, look, you're under a lot of pressure. So, you know, committing adultery just this one time, all good. The, 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 there's, no, there's no other place in the in the Old Testament where, where, where God's like, oh well, you know, you were really desperate and you couldn't have, been so you know, stealing that that's okay. We'll just let we'll let that one. Oh, oh the, the, you know, bowing down to idols. Well, look, you know, just this once. There's nowhere else in the Old Testament where God. Um, sets aside the moral law so easily. And so why do we see in this story, Jesus is asking a question, how can David so easily set aside the moral law? And how is Jesus able to do that here in this story on the Sabbath? Jesus is saying that the Sabbath law was provisional. It was temporary until something greater came along. In other words, the Sabbath law and the food laws stay in place until something comes along that makes all that obsolete. And what makes that all obsolete? What does all that point to? Jesus. Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. You see, Jesus is the true and better sabbath he's the one that the fourth commandment the commandment to rest is pointing to as saint augustine famously said you have made us for yourself O lord and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you jesus is the true and better sabbath and what this means is two things firstly if you want rest that deep rest for the soul You have to come to Jesus. And secondly, what it means is if you've already come to Jesus and you don't experience this kind of rest, it means that you still don't know what you have in Christ. If you've come to Jesus and you don't know this rest for the soul, then you don't know what it is that he has for you in Christ. You haven't taken hold of it. That's what this means. Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Come to me and I will give you rest. What does that mean? Remember back in Genesis 2, God made the world, right? And it says God saw all that he made and it was good. God finished the work of creation for on the six days and then on the seventh day it says he rested from his work. Remember that, right? That's the seventh day. But what do you mean God rested? God rested. I mean, what, was he tired or something? God God, God can't be tired, so, so why did he need to rest on the seventh day? If you're familiar with this story of Genesis 2 and the creation, you know that after every day, God makes something. It says, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. And then on the final day where he made humans, it says, and it was very good. And friends, that's what it means to be able to rest, to be utterly satisfied with what's been done, to be able to say it was very good. That's the only way you can walk away. That's the only way that you can stop. That's the only way that you can put your doing down is if you're absolutely satisfied with the doing. That's good. That's good. That's very good. Now you can rest. Now you can relax. The definition of rest is to be utterly satisfied with the work that has been done. Now, if you fast forward from Genesis 2 to Hebrews chapter 4, and the writer draws this really interesting analogy between the gospel of God's free grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ and the Sabbath rest. In verse 9 of chapter 4, the writer says, There remains then a rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God rested from his. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that when we find salvation through Christ and his free gift of grace... We're able to rest from the most debilitating work of all. And that's the work of establishing our own identity, the work of establishing our own worth through our own efforts. It's the work of self-salvation, of establishing that we're worthy and that we are very good. You see, this is the deep spiritual work that underlines all of our other work. This is the work that makes us all so exhausted. You might call this the REM of the soul. Deep rest for the soul from all of our good works. You see, otherwise, without that rest, all of our other works are completely crushing because we'll never measure up and they're never good enough for us to just stand back and rest. We'll never measure up, which means we won't be able to rest. We won't be able to Relax. There's only one who was ever able to measure up completely and to be fully satisfied with his work. There's only one. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, except for one. And he's the one whose final words on the cross were, it is finished. It's his way of saying it was very good. And then you know what it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3? After he finished his work, he sat down. He sat down. The work was done. Why was it finished? What what was finished? Why was he able to sit? Well, we're told in our Luke 6 of, of verse 11 that after Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath, it says the Pharisees were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Jesus had said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And now without knowing it, the very thing that the Pharisees plan on doing to Jesus in response to that claim will be the thing that actually makes him the Lord of the Sabbath. The very thing that they're planning to do to Jesus will be the very thing that actually makes him the Lord of the Sabbath. What am I talking about? Well, you just try to picture Jesus on the cross. Picture him crying out in agony. Picture him writhing on the cross in pain. Why is he so restless? Isaiah 57 verse 20 says this, The wicked are like the tossing sea which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no rest for the wicked. Why is he writhing? Why is he crying out? Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21 said, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What's going on with Jesus up there? Why is he doing all that? Why is he crying? Why is he writhing? We've just heard very clearly that there can be no rest for those who turn their backs on God. But, of course, Jesus never turned his back on God. So what on earth is God doing turning his back on Jesus? You see, Jesus experienced the infinite and cosmic restlessness of being cut off entirely from God. And he did that so that we might experience infinite and eternal rest, deep rest for our souls so that we might hear that, well done, good and faithful servant. You see, when God looks at Christ on the cross, he sees our sins, all of our works that are offensive to God are laid on him. And when he looks at us, he sees Jesus' nail-pierced hands, the work of his hands for us. And that is very good so that we can hear him say, well done, Good and faithful servant. Why is it finished? What is finished? Everything necessary for your salvation. For the most exacting conscience, for the most perfectionistic and idealistic inner compulsions, and for the highest possible standards anyone could ever set for anyone. All of them have been met in the finished work of Christ. This is at the very heart of the gospel. You see, the thing that makes Christ's work on the cross so awesome and so amazing is that he didn't do it for him. He did it for me. In our liturgy, we say he obtained an eternal deliverance for his people. Talk talk about it was very good. Talk about it is finished talk about being able to sit down he obtained an eternal deliverance through his work and so to be a Christian is not to say yes Jesus is my example and I'm going to try really 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 hard and do my best to follow him no to be a Christian is to say I don't rest in and rely on anything that I do I rest in and rely on everything that he's done Jesus is the one who can look upon the work of his nail pierced hands, the only one, and say, it is finished. It was very good. And then to sit down because his work is complete. And so to be a Christian is to rest in and to rely on him. In other words, to be a Christian is to lay your deadly doing down. Down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him, in him alone, gloriously complete. And you know what? The extent to which you understand that, the extent to which you understand that it is finished and you're gloriously complete will also be the extent to which your work is not for you anymore. Your work is for God and for others. Because Jesus has done everything by which you can stand gloriously complete. And so you're not working for yourself anymore. You're working for God and you're working for others. It's a glorious liberty and a radical freedom. So how do we do it? Very briefly. I would highly recommend that we keep the Sabbath, a Sabbath day not as an act of legalism or slavery, but it's actually an act of liberty and, and freedom. God actually gave the Sabbath to the Israelites to remind them that they were no longer slaves in Egypt because, of course, slaves don't get a day off. How many people are here this morning or in our society are actually slaves even though they're free? You can't have a day off. You have to work. You're a slave. You can't rest from that inner work. And so the way to take your Sabbath is actually with a note of triumph and saying to yourself, I'm not a slave to my company, to my neediness, to my own expectations, to my perfectionism, to my idealistic drivenness, to my neediness for my culture's expectation or my company's expectation. I will not be defined by my income, by my job, by my work. So, brothers and sisters, lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him, in him alone, gloriously complete. Amen? It's so good news. Let's pray. Jesus, you said whoever the Son sets free is free indeed. And you said where the Spirit of the Lord is There is freedom. So come in power now by your Holy Spirit and help us to know the glorious freedom of the children of God and what it is that you've accomplished for us. Like never before, we pray. Deep peace and deep poise of heart and mind and soul because of the deep rest that we have for those who are weary and burdened who will come to you knowing that you will give us rest. Lord Jesus, break the chains of perfectionism the chains of idealism and drivenness and workaholism running around with unbearably high standards, that we might stand in you gloriously complete, that in Jesus Christ it is finished. Thank you for opening up this possibility of inner rest. Deep down in our souls, help us to breathe it in by faith and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Break the chains, lift the burdens, even now, come Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.